Lord God, we bow before you and we uh, just, uh, uh, with all of our might, we proclaim your great name is majestic in all the earth. Lord, as we come to this scripture today, help us learn from it. Uh, Lord, help us, help us to open our hearts and our minds that it would transform our lives. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hey, I want to uh, say welcome to everybody today. And uh, if, uh, if you're new to us, uh, maybe the last week or a week and a half or so, we could, well, you didn't come on Thursday. Anyway, a couple of weeks. Um, we, we have these, um, these have connection cards. And so we would love for you to uh, fill one of these out. And we can learn a little bit about you. And, and if you want to learn more about us, uh, there's some check marks there you can make. I want to know more about the church, more about what does it mean to have a relationship with Christ, to be baptized, and so forth like that. So uh, please fill that out. And you can either take that to the Connection Center or you can put it in the offering plate a little bit later. And, of course, everybody has an opportunity to fill out a prayer card, and we'll be faithful to, uh, to lift those up in prayer. All right? Well, as we started the service, um, as you can already tell, we are going to be talking and singing about the majesty and glory of God's great name. And there's no other uh, greater couple of songs that does that than the next couple that we're going to sing, How Great Is Our God and how uh, and great not great is thy faith how great thou art let's sing those together Oh, 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 
Amen. Amen. I would ask that you uh, use the next uh, few moments to prepare your hearts for what God wants to tell us today through Psalm 8. And so let me just sort of set up before we pray for our offering what we're going to do. We're going to ask that you take your copy of God's Word and turn to Psalm 8. And as we uh, do some, some music, I just want you to meditate on that. And, uh, and then eventually we will sing the last part of Psalm 8 together as a congregation, okay? Lord God, we come before you now, again, proclaiming that your name is majestic above all the earth. Lord, we just want to uh, please you in all that we do today, and yes, also in our, in our giving. And uh, Lord, may we be joyful givers, and may uh, you lead and guide us that uh, not one penny would be wasted in, in a way, but, but uh, Lord, that every uh, penny would be used to glorify your great name to reach men and women, boys and girls in our community and around this region and around the world. And uh, Lord, thank you for this opportunity to worship. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.
All right, so you know we're in Psalm 8, right? Could we ever praise him adequately enough? No way could we ever do that, but thank the Lord for the psalms and hymns and spiritual songs that we've heard today to put our focus and affections on the Lord. Listen to the reading of the word one more time, Psalm 8, remember? Verse 1 is actually the superscription. In the English Bible, verse 1 is, O Lord, our Lord, Yahweh, our Adonai. But the first verse in the Hebrew is, To the choir master, according to the Getith, a psalm of David. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to steal the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beast of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Derek Kidner says this psalm is an unsurpassed example of what a hymn should be. Celebrating as it does the glory of God, rehearsing who he is and what he has done, and relating us to him and the world to him. All with a masterly economy of words. And in a spirit mingled with joy and awe. I wish I would have said that. That captures so well what this psalm is about. The theme is clearly the greatness and glory of God. Secondarily, the place of man within God's great universe. So David is celebrating something that is peculiarly about God. Not starting with man, but David is starting with God. There's a peculiarity about our God that we don't have. There's something that David is worshiping. So he's celebrating the glory and majesty of God. Now we are, in our church especially, familiar with that kind of terminology. One of the things we learn in our new members class is the fact that God is supreme in all of life. We hear terms like, God deserves all the glory. We, we are familiar with those terms. But I would not be surprised, because it's true in my own life at times, that the heart of this psalm is lacking in, in us so often when we look at the heart of it. Why? Because we're quick to say, Lord, thank you so much for saving me, right? Thank you for the way you have blessed 
me, but we often miss how important it is just to step back for a moment and marvel at the majesty and glory of God and how he has displayed that glory in this world that we live in. So the psalm draws us into the world the way it really is. Now pause for a moment. I've been thinking about this all week, that particular focus of how Washington may view the world. Or how your scientists or your philosophers or but I want to remind you that this is the way the world is in reality. You are looking in this text at the way the world really is. It draws us toward that proper perspective. And David is wanting us, led by the Holy Spirit, not only just to draw us into the thought of the world belongs to God, this is really the way it is, but he wants to move your mind and your affections toward what you were meant to be when God made you. So, it's an awesome psalm. In other words, there's a framework to this psalm, and it places men and women inside of this cosmic framework. One will never understand human beings unless we see them as God's creatures. We recognize that they have a special responsibility to our Creator God. So, it's important for us to think on that. There's also, obviously, connections The psalm should be read sequentially. It's not that you can't open your Bible and say read Psalm 34 today or Psalm 46 or Psalm 23 tomorrow. Yes, that's true. But in order for you to get the themes and understand it, all the psalms are interconnected. So you have Psalm 1 and 2. can't go back and preach those. They're awesome, right? But when you begin to preach, when you begin to look at Psalm 3 through 7, um, 8 is is really the result of how 3 through 7 flows. 8 begins to be, uh, of course, the first psalm of a praise. And that's very, very important. But there's interconnectedness to all the psalms. Okay, Not just Psalm 8 with 3 through 7, but when you get to Psalm 9 and 10 and 11, they're connected together. And those themes are easy to find. I wish I could take you through every theme. If this were a Sunday night teaching session, I might do that. But, But name... Our Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name? This is not the first time you see name in the first seven psalms, correct? We could look at in all the earth. We could look at rulers. We could look at man. We could look at you have put or set. There are reoccurring themes. So it's just a reminder to let you know that. Now, there's a superscription. It sets the context. Most most people, uh, I'd say, let's say it's... 60-40, believe that Gatith, that's written here, has a connection with Gath, which was the city of Goliath. And so most people believe that the context is David having defeated Goliath. And the Lord God accomplished this. Don't turn, just listen for the sake of time. Listen to what David actually says, which you will hear uh, the themes from what David will say, don't you love this? This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. That's not politically correct today. And I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth. Listen to this. That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. 
Does this kind of sound like Psalm 8 to you? And that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. And then, of course, in chapter 18, verse 6, as David is returning from battle, the women of the city come together and they begin to sing and to dance and exalt the Lord for the victory that has taken place. There are others who believe that this was just David as a little shepherd boy having defeated a lion and a bear and he's on his back and he's looking up into the sky and he's reflecting on the moon and the stars and the expanse and he's saying, O Lord, you are glorious. You are majestic. Whatever the situation is, here we find a psalm, the very first one, a psalm of praise. And if you go back and you look at these five consecutive psalms, three, four, five, six, and seven, there's no question that they're filled with laments. David's saying, lift me out of my distress. Help me in this situation, Lord. Deliver me from this situation. And then you've got this note at the end of chapter 7, verse 17. I will give to the Lord the thanks due his righteousness, and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord the Most High. And of course, in Psalm 8, do you see the connectedness of this? And then he's going to sing to the Lord. So, in Psalm 8, if only for a moment, because it's going to go difficult again, beginning in Psalm 9, there's going to be David speaking of the difficulties of life. We see a vision, hear this, of the sovereignty of God and the created universe and how he cares for humanity. Y'all got all that intro? Shall I hit it again? Everybody connected to this wonderful psalm. Okay, so we're going to see four things in the movement of this particular psalm. Okay, uh, it's given to, in verse 1, and then two through, 2 through 4, then 5 through 8, and then coming back with a summary statement of, of, of what it means to praise God based on what you've seen in the psalm. So first, we need to acknowledge the Lord's majesty and glory over the heavens. Hear it clearly. O Lord... O Lord, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. So again, there's going to be this refrain that that happens twice. Everybody can see that. Verse 1 and verse 9. So he says, O Yahweh. That's the first one. Do you see in your Bible, Lord is in all caps. The second Lord is not in all caps. Does everybody see that? You're awake today? So Adonai is the second, Lord, smaller letters, capital L, everything else smaller, lowercase. But Lord Yahweh is in all uppercase letters. So Yahweh is the personal covenant name of God revealed to the Hebrews. The gift of God's very name, Yahweh, to Israel was given in the Exodus. And it was was a radical self-revelation of who God is, that he can be known He's accessible to people, and you can take him as your own. He can be your God. As Gerald Wilson said, this is not the hidden God of the laments, but the God who displays himself to be seen in creation. So the Lord God who wills to be known in his majesty by human beings and in his creation alike. Do you know how many times Yahweh is used in the Old Testament? 5,000 321 times. It carries both the idea of the God who is 
and the God who will be. The name is powerful. It's a powerful promise to you and to me if you're a believer of the continuing presence of God with us. The title Adonai is a title of respect and recognition of authority that he is sovereign. And then the word majestic. In some of your translations it may say how excellent or how great. I thought about titling this sermon, How Great Thou Art. We did that song and I thought about titling How Great Is Our God. But the thematic structure, of course, is the majesty and glory of the Lord. So think of this. The word majestic is a superlative in Hebrew, and it just means something. It means mightier. It means wide and great and high and noble. But here's the key. Over everything else. He's majestic and glorious. So with these three terms, David celebrates the supreme God over, listen to this, everything. He's subject to no other power, and he reigns supreme over all. He has no rival. That's who he is. The psalmist begins his worship the way we should begin our worship. He begins his theology where we ought to begin our theology, with God. It starts with him, not with humanity. So he is our Lord, he's our governor, he's our ruler, he's our master. And then David wraps this psalm in the greatness of God. Again, chapter 5, verse 11. Hear this clearly. Connectedness. Listen, chapter 5, verse 11. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exult in you. Could it get any clearer? That those who have taken refuge in Him actually love Him. Are y'all listening? You love Him above all things. Those who have taken refuge in Him love Him. They praise Him. They sing to Him. And again, chapter 7, verse 17. And I will sing praise to the name of the Lord the Most High. So, consider also the name your name in all the earth. What happened in chapter 2 verse 8? The Bible says, Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. But when you get to Psalm 8, it says your name is majestic above all the earth. So Psalm 8 asserts that Yahweh's name is majestic in all the earth. The Bible world, just like the one you live in today, is pluralistic. It was pluralistic. It is that way today. It's awash with all kind of different beliefs that are around us. The world sees all beliefs as valid. And none of them is actually right in such a way that the rest of them would be wrong. But that's not what the Bible says. David would disagree. The Lord, Yahweh, Adonai, the God of Israel, is not just our Lord. But His name is the only name to be honored in heaven and on earth. That's kind of weak, amen. That is a universal statement. There is no other God. Period. He is the only one. So, whether you like it or not, Israel has it right and we don't. This world, the United States, doesn't have it right. Unless you see only this God of the Bible as the God that belong, that is and forever will be. 
So that is a statement that David will make clearly. So Hamilton points out that we typically render the second part of this verse something like, You've set your glory above the heavens. Y'all see that? How majestic is your name in all the earth? You have set your glory above the heavens. That's the way the ESV does it. However, this is actually an imperative command in the, in the Hebrew. So it really is this. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And David says, put your glory above all so that they recognize it. David is asking the Lord to do this. Put your glory over the world so they will acknowledge it. So it's pretty easy for me to do my division in the sermon. Acknowledge the Lord's majesty and glory over the heavens. That's what God wants you to do today. This is what his, your response should be to him. So, our God is majestic, lofty, noble, splendid, mighty, sovereign over all. And David is declaring this to us. It's a display of his glory in the world that he actually created all that there is. So, David says, you're majestic and you're above the heavens. Why does it say that? Because, folks, God created all. He's above all. So Solomon will say this in his dedicatory prayer. You remember it? He says this. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? He, Solomon says this in his dedicatory prayer for the temple. Remember? In 1 Kings 8.24 he says this. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built. And the reason that creation, as wonderful as it is, cannot exhaust the glory of God is because God is its maker. You can't exhaust Him. Certainly it expresses His glory in creation, right? Incredible wisdom. The existence of God. The power of God to speak life and to speak things out of nothing. It's only what God can do. It, uh, creation speaks of other attributes of God, but it's only partial revelation of the true surpassing greatness of the God that stands behind the creation that you see with your eyes. His glory is above the heavens. Therefore, we could never praise Him adequately enough. So we declare to our God, put your glory above the heavens so all will acknowledge. And let me just tell you something, folks. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's moving in that direction. And it's going to happen. All right, number two. Recall the Lord's majesty and glory demonstrated as he uses the weak to shame the strong. Listen to the word of God. Out of the mouth of, mouth of babies and infants you have established strength because of your foes. To steal the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you will care for him. God's name is excellent in all the earth. His glory is set above the heavens. All of creation cannot contain his greatness. Yet he has chosen to display his greatness. By using weak things. To shame the strong. As the text says to dismiss an enemy. Do some of you have translations that, that is plural there? Enemies? It's not enemies. It's singular in Hebrew. Enemy. Keep that stored away in the back of your mind. It's really important. So as we encounter this phrase, out of the mouths of babies and infants, you've established strength. Have you, any of you ever used this euphemism? You're riding down the road, 
And one of your kids will say something, and maybe they're two or three years of age, and what will you say? Out of the mouths of babies, right? Uh, uh, paraphrase, kids say the darndest things, right? We, we, we're familiar with this, and there is a connection, of course, with the greatness of creation that proclaims His glory, but also the cry of an infant that proclaims His glory. The chatter of a small child that proclaims the majesty and glory of God. Jesus applies verse 2 to who? Himself. Have you ever read this in Matthew 21, 15 through 16? Here's what the Bible says. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that Christ did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes, have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies? You have prepared praise. So, one should not dismiss what the children were saying is what Jesus is saying. Why? Because the children recognize who God is. They recognize Jesus for who he was. There's, of course, that particular point of the proclaiming of infants and babies to the glory and majesty of God. But there's also another part of the babies and the infants that give a witness. Please see the first connection, but let me introduce you to another connection, okay? And if you just do a casual reading over it, you may not think about it. But here's the deal. We realize that Psalm 8 reaches all the way back to where? Creation. I hope hope your mind at some point was on Genesis 1 and 2 as we were reading this text. Were you all there? You're going to say yes whether you want or not. Right? But you should have been thinking about creation and the way God spoke all things into creation. We know, however... As glorious as that creation was in chapters 1 and 2 of Genesis, something happens in chapter 3. And there is conflict. And what is that? Well, we see creation, fall. (laughs) Of course, we also see redemption on the way in Genesis 3.15. So if you're looking at the scripture as the whole, creation, fall, redemption, consummation. You can kind of bring the whole Bible together with that. But here, it's very important For you to realize that a fall took place. Adam, Eve was deceived. Adam sinned willfully. And sin entered into this world. And if you know this, and you've read this, you know the Bible says that God put curses upon the serpent, the enemy, the devil, upon the woman, upon the man. And he says this to the enemy, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, seed, right? He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The literal rendering of Psalm 8 too is from the mouth of babies and sucklings you've established strength because of your adversaries to cause the one at enmity and the avenger to cease. So, it's my belief that the singular enemy in this text is the devil. Period. Okay? This is how God silenced them through babies. God will punish the enemy. And Hamilton notes this accurately. Psalm 8.2 stands as a poetic way of saying that God's answer to Satan's rebellion is the assertion that the woman would have a child, that there would be enmity between the seed of the woman and the serpent, and that the woman's seed would bruise the serpent's 
head. Do y'all think that David had a profound understanding of the Old Testament? Okay, you ready to go back to Psalm 1? In his law, does he meditate day and night? This is what David did. He didn't seek the counsel of the ungodly. He didn't walk in the way of sinners, stand in the seat of the scornful. He listened to the word of God. And here is, I know he's led by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but God never overcame their personality. David learned the word of God. And so, David inspects creation. He inspects the moon, the stars in verse 3. He reflects on man's creation in verse 5. He exposits Genesis 1.28, how God created man and woman. And then in chapter 8, 6 through 8, he's going to speak to us concerning God's creation of man. So David understands that God's purpose, folks, is to saturate all of creation with his glory. This is what God is doing. He understands his own place in the line that starts with Adam. And I don't have time to trace all that out. But even in the word he uses man is Enosh, connected to Adam. And when he says son of man, is connected to Seth. And he sees himself in this godly line and a vice regent himself of the Lord God. Of course, David was also a king. But he knows that somebody's coming in line. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's going to establish his glory and dominion forever. He sees this. So... This moves David to think about the paradox of man's insignificance. You see it right here? We're talking about weak things to shame the wise. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? That the Lord God, stop this, stop and think. That the Lord God who created the expanse of creation would pay any attention to a speck of dust like us is all the more reason to proclaim his majesty and his glory. Think of this. David meditates. He's reflecting on the fact that all the heavens belongs to God. And he calls the heavens the work of his fingers. Y'all know what that is? It is human language that we use to describe our God. Because he doesn't have fingers. Or at this point when David is writing it, he didn't have fingers. Right? Because he uh, dwelt in invisible, invisible light until... The Son of God came to earth, and he did have fingers. And I believe to this day he's seated at the right hand of the Father in bodily form and still has fingers. Okay? But at this point, he uses anthropomorphic language to ascribe human characteristics to God in order to make a point. So he flung out the stars and the moon with his fingertips. And what does that mean? Creating billions of stars and billions of galaxies is child's play to our God. Are y'all listening? He didn't even need a warm-up to do it. This is how awesome he is. How majestic, how powerful, just delicately sticking out the moon. It's almost like if he didn't do it with his fingers, he may consume it and burst it before he ever puts it out there. That's how powerful our God is. And this is what David is explaining. He snaps or he points and it's done. All of it. Again, he didn't even need a warm-up. David notes, no to the moon and the stars which God has ordained and set in place. Do y'all see this? No scientist did this. Nothing blew up to cause this. Right? There's no way possible. And they know this. They're just not honest. The innumerable points of lights in the heavens... 
The clockwise precision with which they turn and return again and again, it maps out the days. Are y'all listening? I know there's stuff going on, but are you listening? It maps out the days. It maps out the weeks. It maps out the months and the years of human existence. And folks, I don't know what you call that, but I call it indescribable. And it's beyond our comprehension to see it. We fail to show up to work on occasion, don't we? Or our days will run together, but the moon and the stars appear once again every single day, undisturbed, without fail, ready to serve its maker. Each is right where it should be, all the time, every time, in perfect obedience to the God who set them in place. In terms of pure space and area, do y'all know how big the moon is? It's just a smidge smaller than the continent of Asia. What kind of power does it take to set that in the atmosphere? Unbelievable. How large is the moon? Oh my goodness. I mean, the sun. Do y'all know how large it is? And it's really not a large star, according to what they say. But you can put one million... 300,000 earths inside of the sun. And God did this. God placed them there. We are unsubstantial specks in the universe compared to what is around you. And this is what David is understanding. Our God is pictured so mightily, so powerful, that he must delicately place the moon and the stars with his fingers. Our God is so mighty... That he could snuff them out with just a word. So, when you look up into the sky, you know what it should be? A humility-inducing gaze. That's what it ought to be. It's an absolute absurdity to look up at the vastness above you and still consider yourself a big deal. You're not. You're not. You're simply not a big deal. Think about this. It's an absolute absurdity. As a matter of fact, the atheists in our day, they think they are. Romans 1 will disagree with that. But the only time the Bible ever gives any kind of talk towards somebody who's an atheist says this. The fool has said there is no God. Translation, you're an idiot if you can look at creation and think that God does not exist. The fool has said this. Right? So... Again, Enosh man speaks of our weakness and our frailty. Doesn't take much for us to be gone away, right? Frailty. It highlights mortality. We come and we leave quickly with little noticeable lasting impact if truth be told. Ben Adam is son of man and that just points to our dependency upon our God and yet he attends to our need. Huge. So infinite God cares for finite man. He's mindful of us. He's watching over us. All right, you ready for number three? Recognize the Lord's majesty and glory in the creation of man with honor and rulership. Again, are you thinking back to Genesis? It's almost like David is recording this and he's oblivious to the fall. Right? Because when we read this, we're like, well, wait a minute. Last time I tried to pick up a rattlesnake, it wasn't a good thing. Do I really have rulership and dominion over a rattlesnake? Don't do it. Don't pick it up. Don't fool with a black bear or a brown bear or a grizzly bear. No, that does not work good, right? Does not work well. Never. 
Okay? So when we read this, I want you to understand that David is rehearsing. He's thinking back to the way that God created man in the beginning. But he also knows how it's going to end. Right? He's focused upon that. So he's reflecting on the dignity and responsibility of man. The Bible says that man was made from the dust of the earth. Y'all remember O.J. Vernon McGee? J. Vernon McGee on the radio. He said one time, God made man from the dirt of the earth. And when dirt gets stuck on itself, it's mud. That's pretty good, right? So again, it's, it's the understanding that we are but dust. But hear me. Here's what David sees. We are still his. <laughs> We're made from dust, but we are still his. He's taken the dust of the earth fashioned his image into it, and he's made you an image bearer. You are made in the image of God. Human, humankind. So think about this. The whole creation account moves from the beginning of creation toward the creation of human beings as God's culminating act on the last day. Only humans are uniquely created in the image of God, set apart from any inanimate creation. And you've got a distinctive relationship to the Creator God. And David realizes this. He doesn't, he realizes he does matter. Are y'all listening? He's just baffled with God's eternal, incredible knowledge and creation. And why would we be important? He understands that he, in fact, does matter. He's just baffled as to why he matters. So David is in all that we would in fact matter at all to God. God's greatness is on display in the creation of the moon and the stars, but also in the creation and placement of man. In other words, folks, this psalm is telling us that God deserves all the glory. In creation, how he set things in order. How he actually put placement of mankind on the face of the earth. He has given man special dignity and special authority. Glory and honor belongs to God alone. But our God in His grace has bestowed glory and honor upon His creation. There is much debate on the word Elohim here. Do you see it? You have made Him a little lower than the heavenly beings. Some translate that as a little lower than God. I think that's a bad translation. I think the actual meaning, the Septuagint gets it right. They take Elohim to refer to angels. Okay, And I think Hebrews helps us there as well. We'll hit that in a minute. But the term has a significant semantic range. It's got a bundle of meanings. We are described as a little lower than those in the heavenly realm. Are y'all listening? Not a little higher than the animal realm. Are you listening? Evolution may say that we're slightly above the beast of the field. But God says you're made a little lower than the angels. The rest of this section will describe how God crowned man with glory and majesty. He, in other words, he put Adam there as vice regent over creation. The verb phrase, you have made him Lord, means you have caused him to rule. That was his assignment as a vice regent. God blessed the man and woman. He placed them in the garden and he also told them to be fruitful and multiply and take dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Man stood over creation as God's representative. And David seems, again, to write this oblivious to the fall. Why? Because it didn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that all things are not under our feet right now. 
It's not. Will there ever be a day when all these things are once again under our feet, under the authority of men, or may we say under the authority of any man? Well, I'm glad you asked. Hebrews chapter 2. That's my next series, right? Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to preach through Hebrews. By the way, I can't help but read verse one, chapter 1, verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God. Are we talking about the glory of God this morning? Say amen. This text says in Hebrews 1, 3 that our God, the Lord Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God. The exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the power of his word. Hallelujah. Chapter 2. Listen to what the Bible says. 6 through 8. This will sound familiar. It has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while. Mm, Something's inserted here. You made him for a little while. This is not talking about you. He made you lower than the angels. But this text says he made him a little lower for a little while than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. I hope you understand that everything's already under his feet. He already, he's not waiting to reign, he reigns, right? Don't stop reading verse 9. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Verse 14, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. Singular, Psalm 8, verse 2, right? That he might destroy the devil. So, implication is, all things are under his feet. If you're a co-heir with Christ, y'all remember Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 through 23? All things are under Christ's feet. In particular, the church. If you're his child, you reign with him. One of these days, that's going to be the case. And also in 1 Corinthians 15, 24, Paul talks about the last enemy. You know what that enemy is? Death. And the Bible says it's been swallowed up in Christ's victory. And one of these days, all things will be completely under subjection. And the Bible says Jesus will give it back to the Father. And that will be the end of all. So... The glory of Psalm 8 is already Christ. Even death even death is under his feet. Now, all right, we're going to wrap this up. Here's a question that we need to contemplate. When you read 5 through 8, all right, y'all ready? Looking at the heavens, looking at what he's created, how he's created you a little lower than the angels. He's crowned you with glory and honor. He's given you dominion over the works of, your, of his hands. Now, I get it that there's an already and a not yet to that. But Christian, listen to me. Are you not called to display the glory of God in this world? Are you not called to this? How are you displaying the glory of God to the rest of the creation? Young people, how are you doing this at school? All righty then. Ball coming in, curveball. Pow! Glory to God. Or catching a football. I mean, can you do all those things to the glory of God? Strictly speaking, you better believe you can. 
However, if you never open your mouth, can it be said of us that we're actually honoring the glory of God the way God created you to do it? Can we actually say that we're doing it if we're not living the life? So, there have been moments that we have inspired behavior. And that we may say it approaches the love and care of God back to Him. But for the most part, human beings present a poor picture of the glory of God on the face of the earth. Think of this, the way we live. We realize that the image-born humans have tarnished and twisted almost beyond recognition the glory of God. Why? Because of our sin. Let's be honest. As one commentator put it, it is little wonder that when the world looks at the human condition and even the example of the Christian community, so many come away questioning whether God even exists. Wow. Jesus makes a difference, folks. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. Hold the difference Jesus makes. He makes you a new creation. He takes out the heart of stone, puts it in a heart of flesh. There's a change, a complete change. There's a radical reorientation with all of life. You, if you're saved and you read Psalm 8, then it echoes in your mind what God is saying to you. Because you belong to Him. So, folks, have you forgotten that we're saved out of this world? John, 1 John says we're in the world, but we're not of the world. Folks, we've lost our distinctiveness in so many ways. We are no different in the way we dress. We're no different in the way we eat. We're no different in the way we live. We're no different in what we say, what we do, how we marry, and how we divorce. God help us! Now think, you, you know I'm telling the truth, right? This means yes, this means no. There's, there's no differentiation between the church so often and the world that we belong to. And yet the Bible says in 1 Corinthians that we're called out to be separate. To be distinct from the world. Psalm 8 calls us to allow the awesome glimpse and wonder and purpose of God and how He made you in His image to drive you to want to love God and display His glory and live right. Live like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season. Its leaf shall not wither. And whatever He does, it prospers. It's what God deserves. John Piper said it like this. Lose sight of who man really is and you lose sight of who God really is and all his majesty. And lose sight of God and his majesty and the world goes berserk. <laughs> Welcome to the U.S. Right? Now I hope you will agree with this psalm. He's saying this. Piper is. You cannot worship and glorify the majesty of God while treating his supreme creation with contempt. Whatever color or whatever age that creation might be. He goes on to say, you cannot starve the aged human and glorify the majesty of God. He says, you cannot dismember the unborn human being inside of the womb of its mother and bring glory and majesty to God. You can't do it. God help our country. You can't do it. There's no way you can bring glory to God who made that baby in his own image. There's no way. Oh, don't you just wish you could put the mind of God inside of the heathen so they can see the glory of God. But we can't. But God can. Don't you wish they would just think about the glory 
and majesty of God. You cannot lynch the black human and glorify the majesty of God. You cannot worship and glorify the majesty of God while, cre- while treating His supreme creation with contempt. We've lost our perspective, folks. Psalm 8 drives us back to that perspective. If we don't gather it back, Alistair Begg says it good, we devolve into nothing more than a monkey or a machine, and neither of which has inherent value, dignity, or worth. All right. Last phrase, you ready? Based on all of that, based on all of this, O Lord Yahweh, our Adonai, Adonai, the one who is ever-present, the covenant-keeping God who saves your soul, and the one who is an absolute supreme power and glory. How majestic, how wide, how deep, how... We, we can't even explain that particular term, majestic. It's got glory in it. It's got expanse. It's got nobility. How majestic is your name in all the earth. Praise the Lord for his majesty and glory. And again, David is rehearsing. He's revisiting that theme. He begins with a joyful note. Even in the midst of all the things he's been through, he's praising God. And he ends it that way. Wilson says, at the beginning of our praise, he began it by affirming the magnificence of our creator God. And at the end, we stand in awe at the unexpected grace that has elevated his human works to unimaginable heights of glory and honor and responsibility. Are you listening? We share God's image. We are also called to share loving care for all he has made. Notice his name is majestic in all the earth. It all belongs to him. It's all under his lordship. The great theologian J.I. Packer said, We are at the end of four centuries of God shrinking. He gets smaller and we get bigger. The Bible does not see it that way. Amen. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. If you just listen, you can hear those words in the mouth of a child or a baby. Our Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Isaac Watts wrote a hymn called Give to Our God, to Our God, Immortal Praise. Just listen to a few verses and we're done. Give to our God immortal praise. Mercy and truth are all his ways. Wonders of grace to God belong. Repeat his mercies in your song. He built the earth. He spread the sky. And he fixed the starry lights on high. Wonders of grace to God belong. Repeat his mercies in your song. He fills the sun with morning light. He bids the moon direct the night. His mercies ever shall endure. When suns and moons shine no more. Through this vain world, he guides our feet and leads us to his heavenly seat. His mercies ever shall endure when this our world shall be no more. If you're lost today, understand. Lost paradise, Genesis 3, right? Sin entered into this world. Sin demands judgment. 
Without the shedding of blood, there is no remitting of sin. Period. And from day one, God has to kill something to cover their sin. And so it is, man and his vice regency did not do too well. But the Bible says in 1 Corinthians that there's a second Adam, and his name is Jesus. He that knew no sin became sin for you. He who, was, he who made the angels was made a little lower than the angels. Why? To identify with us to the max. So that he could live in humanity a life we could never live. And in that perfect obedience, he laid down his life to forgive you of your sins. To become your substitute on the cross. So that if you put your trust in him, he saves you eternally. Wow. If you're lost today, turn to Jesus. He's the only one that can save. He is the Yahweh God of Psalm 8. Yahweh saves. That's who it's talking about. It's talking about. That's why the children and the babies were praising and singing Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Why? Because he's the only one that can save. For Christians, oh, when you look at God's creation, may it drive you to have the right understanding of who you are. Not much. But yet, you're made in the image of God. Made in his image. And if you're saved, glory to God. What a great salvation we have. May it encourage you to live for the glory of God. He's done it through creation. He did it in creating mankind. And he ultimately saved you for one purpose. For his own glory. That's the understanding of the Bible. Not look at me. I was smarter than the person right beside me. I heard the same message, but I had enough sense to believe it. Oof. You were saved because God saved you. You are saved today because the God of eternity visited your heart. You're saved today because He tendered your heart toward Him. That's the only way anybody's ever saved. God is the author of salvation. Aren't you thankful? So repent and believe. Today, that's the call. Repent and believe the gospel. The only way you can ever be saved. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your grace and mercy. And we stand in awe. Lord, we identify with David. We didn't have his Old Testament understanding. We should strive to know it. To hear what your word says all the way from cover to cover. But Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Lord, please help us. Lord, visit my heart, my mind. Lord, let us have a desire to bring you glory. Not ourselves, but you. Lord, help our church to be driven by that one purpose, to bring you glory and honor. Lord, to display your glory in this world with the way we act, with the way we speak. Lord, we fail. We get it. We know it. Lord, help us. Help us to honor you. And may our church be a light to this community that truly reflects the glory of Jesus and the gospel. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing about his amazing, amazing love. And can it be
Amen. So, I told Natalie this morning, I was thinking about, well, what's, what's my next psalm? There's 150 of them. Short summer. So, uh, I said, you know, my thoughts are Psalm 16 and 23. You know what next Sunday is? I told Natalie, I said, wow, it's the 16th. So, psalm, you're going to know what I'm preaching. 16th and then the 23rd psalm. All right? Look forward to that. And then at the end of the month, Tom Askell will be here preaching Sunday morning and Sunday night. You will want to be here for that. Now, you're off all month on Sunday nights, so that means you have to come on the 30th, on that Sunday night. And I'm also working maybe to have him address all of our adult Sunday school classes and even maybe the youth. He is an excellent person for us to ask any questions we have about our convention. Help us understand where we are, where we're going as a convention. Help us help us know what's going on in SBC life. He is a phenomenal spokesman on that with his involvement in the convention for all these years. So we may do that during the Sunday school hour in the auditorium. Okay? It's probably what we're aiming for on the 30th. So on the 30th, you Sunday school teachers know you get a break. All right? You'll be coming in here. All right? Uh, VBS starts tomorrow. All right? Uh, our ladies, uh, Jennifer and Cindy, they put a lot of work into this, and we think getting the gospel to our children is vitally important. So that's the goal this week, okay? Monday through Friday, what time do we start? Nine to noon. Nine to noon. If you haven't registered, I heard them say you've got to do it by? Yeah, five o'clock today is the uh, deadline for the, for the online registration. So please register online, so, or else you'll come tomorrow morning and there'll be a line of, sun, of uh, BBS teachers with their arms folded looking down their nose at you uh, because why are you creating such a long line in the VBS registration? So uh, 5 o'clock today, uh, please register, and then that will be shut down and we have to register by paper tomorrow morning, okay? Uh, so let's, let's pray for our VBS uh, as we dismiss today. Lord God, uh, once again... Uh, Thank you, Lord, for a church, uh, this church, and, and so many others around the world who put a priority on vacation Bible school. Uh, 1971. The summer of 1971, I found, or Jesus found me at vacation Bible school. And, Lord, we know that you use Bible school to, uh, uh, for boys and girls, to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And, Lord, we pray to that end uh, this week. We pray that the Word of God is just poured and poured and poured and poured into these lives to the point where someday they will trust Jesus as their Savior and Lord. Lord, for others who already know you, we pray that they just become uh, strong and strengthened uh, in their walk with you this week. Lord, we pray for the teachers and all the support staff and uh, we just uh, want to lift this up to you, Lord, and we, we pray, uh, again, as we talked about this morning, your glory would be uh, seen and uh, would be experienced in Vacation Bible School this, this week. We lift it up to you, Lord, in Christ's name we pray.